Thank you. Wish I could say the same. No, it's joking. <laughs> now, Paul's a good guy. I appreciate him covering for me uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, I appreciate everybody that was covering uh, things the last couple of weeks. Let's pray before we dig into God's Word. God, you're holy and you're good and you're awesome and speak through me today. Let it be your words, not my words. Let your spirit move through this place. Convict hearts. Help us to be the hands and feet you've called us to be. God, we need to be the light that you've called us to be more than ever right now. We love you and we praise you and we stand off your presence, God, in the mighty and powerful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. So there was a phrase my mom and dad would tell me constantly when I was growing up, when I would sit on my rear end on a nice sunny day, watching TV or playing video games, eating potato chips, and this phrase was, get off your rear end and do something. I heard that phrase a lot growing up. Now my wife tells me that all the time. It's not my parents. My wife telling me that all the time. We're looking at the book of James today. And the book of James screams, get off your rear end and do something. Don't just know about your faith. Don't just read about your faith. Don't just talk about your faith. Get off your rear end and do something with your faith. I love taking new believers through James because it's a very practical book and it's a very understandable kind of book when it comes to practical Christian living. In James chapter 4, where we're going to be today, James, a half-brother of Jesus, is telling Jewish Christians how to deal with conflict among believers. Because believers are human, because believers get caught in selfishness once in a while, believers are going to have conflicts. Some conflicts are going to be serious. Some conflicts are not going to be serious. Some conflicts are going to be over serious issues. Some conflicts are going to be over silly issues. Some serious issues may be like, what missionaries are we going to support in a church? Or, or who's, going to, who's our pastor going to be? Or what kind of leaders are we going to vote in? Those are serious issues. To give you an example of a silly issue, um, one time early in ministry for me, I missed a board meeting one time, and some of the guys told me what happened in the board meeting. And some of these guys said there was a couple guys that were ready to have a fist fight because they were fighting over what kind of food they were going to have at a revival we were going to have coming up. So Christians can fight over some silly, silly stuff. But conflict is evident in the Christian community just like it's evident anywhere else. And we have to know how to deal with conflict among believers. And that's what James is saying. Conflict's going to happen. And James says that conflict happens for a number of reasons in the first couple verses of James chapter 4. Conflict happens because of our selfish desires. And conflict can also happen because we don't go to God with our desires. We try to take getting our desires in our own hands. Now, if we look at verses 4 and 5, James says that when we get in conflict, we're committing what's called spiritual adultery. You would never think adultery and conflict with believers would be in the same sentence. You usually don't think of adultery when you think of conflict with believers. What James is saying is that you're trying to be intimate with God and you're trying to be intimate with the world when you're in conflict with believers. That's what James is saying when he's saying that you're in spiritual adultery when you try to get in conflict as believers. You can't serve two masters and you can't be lukewarm. 
You're either going to follow God or you're going to follow the world. You can't follow both. That's what James is saying. And when you have conflict, you're trying to follow both God and the world. It's not Burger King, have it your way. So if we look at uh, James 4, 6, where we're going to be today, we find hope for conflict as believers. We find hope for conflict as believers. In James 4, 6, James tells us that because of grace, we can move on from our conflict as believers. There's hope with conflict because of the grace of God, because God showed us grace on the cross through sending his son, because God is always showing us grace through giving us second chances. We can overcome conflict. And we can move on in relationship with Jesus because of conflict. But James 4, 6 also says that we have to invite conflict in with grace. We have to invite grace in as we're dealing with our conflict. And the way that we invite grace in is through humility. This is what James 4, 6 says. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. James says, but he gives us more grace. Even though we do with conflict, Jesus gives us more grace. Jesus gives us grace in abundance. Jesus gives us unmerited favor. That's what grace is. It's something we don't deserve. We're shown grace through the cross. We're shown grace every day when we get an opportunity to have forgiveness even though we're messed up sinful people. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble people invite grace into their lives. Prideful people never invite grace into their lives. Because God is always pursuing us, grace is always pursuing us. Grace is always knocking at the door. And we've got to decide whether we're going to invite grace in or not. It's humility that invites grace in. It's humility that invites the unmerited favor of God in. Humility is believing and showing that life is not about you, life is about God. And humility is also believing and showing that you're not better than anybody else. And that's what it takes to invite grace in. You've got to have humility. Jesus showed humility throughout Scripture. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He took on the, the role of a house servant. Because he wanted to show people. He wasn't above washing people's feet. That's humility. Jesus ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. Because he wanted to show he was not above them. They needed to hear about Jesus. And Jesus made the religious leaders mad when he was eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. Probably the biggest example of humility, this is probably the biggest example of humility in history, was when Jesus died on the cross. 
That's probably the greatest example of humility. Because Jesus was about his Father's will. Jesus was about God. And Jesus knew he wasn't trying to be above humans. We see humility in our world. We see CEOs taking pay cuts so they can save jobs right now with the virus. We see people you know, giving away their stimulus checks because they don't need them with the virus. Those are big acts of humility. I remember when I was in college, we had one of the higher-ups in administration that would be the, the ball boy for soccer games. And this was an older man, and he could barely get around, but there was a bunch of lazy college kids that didn't want to be ball boys at the soccer games. So we saw this older man all the time chasing soccer balls all around. That guy was a servant. He was not too good for that job. There's a few reasons why humility invites grace in. There's a few reasons why humility invites the divine favor of God in. Here's the first reason why humility invites grace in. Humility says I need grace. Pride says I don't need grace. Humility says I need grace. Pride says I don't need grace. Prideful people, they love to accomplish things on their own. and They love to brag about what they can accomplish or what they can build or what they can earn. So everybody looks at them. And because prideful people don't like helping, because prideful people like to draw attention to themselves, prideful people like to try to earn their Christianity. Me and my wife have a credit card where we earn flying miles. And probably by the time we can actually use the flying miles, we'll have a world tour because we never know when we're going to be able to fly again. So we'll probably be racking up tons of points by the time we can actually fly. But a lot of prideful people feel they don't need grace. They don't need the unmerited favor of God in order to be a Christian. They feel, if I just rack up enough good works points, I can be a Christian. I can have salvation. I can have intimacy with God. That's not true. A lot of prideful people think, if I give enough money to the church, then I'll be a Christian. Or if I serve enough at church, I'll be a Christian. Or if I know enough about Scripture, I can earn my Christianity. Or if I go to church enough, I can earn my Christianity. We cannot earn our Christianity. That's why we need grace. That's why we need the unmerited favor of God that we don't deserve. And humble people realize that you cannot have eternal life without grace. And humble people realize that you can't be intimate with God without grace. And humble people realize that they can't be used by God without grace. Humble people realize that they have good works as an overflow of their gratefulness for the grace that has been made available to them. Good works are not to earn Humble people, salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Humble people realize that they'll never be good enough on their own to have salvation. Humble people realize that they need and they rely on the grace of God in order to have eternal life. 
Another reason why humility invites grace in is because humble people use grace for God's purposes. Prideful people use grace for their own purposes. Humble people use grace for God's purposes. Prideful people use grace for their own purposes. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is a license to serve God. Romans 6, 1-2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The humble person says, I have grace because I'm going to sin. The prideful person will say, I have grace so I can sin. The humble person strives to be godly, but they know they're never going to perfectly follow everything in the Bible. And that's why grace is available. Because we cannot meet God's standards on our own, and we need that grace. Even though we try hard to follow God. Brian Stevenson, who's the head of the Equal Justice Initiative, said one time, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. The humble person doesn't have to beat themselves up when they fall short of being perfect because they know they are so much greater than what they think they are because God loves them. And they're more than the worst thing they've ever done. Prideful people will use grace to continue to live the life they want to live, regardless of whether that life pleases God or not. And prideful people will use grace to cover up their, their faults so they can live under the misconception that they don't have a problem. Another reason why humility invites grace in is because humble people share grace, but prideful people are selfish with grace. Humble people share grace, but prideful people are selfish with grace. Grace is not something that we keep to ourselves. I remember uh, growing up, my mom would give me a batch of cookies to share with my friends at school, and I remember I'd eat like the whole batch before I'd end up at school. That's how some people, especially prideful people, treat grace. God has given us grace to share with others, but we just hog it to ourselves. Grace is not something we keep to ourselves. Grace is not classified information. It's not like you'd have to kill people if you told them about it. We're not in Washington, D.C., all right? No, I used to live in Washington, D.C., and, you know, I would ask people what they, what they did, and a lot of people would tell me they were contractors, and... I asked somebody one time, why does everybody tell me that they're contractors? And he's like, that probably means more often than not that these people have government clearance and they can't tell you what they do. Grace is not classified information. Grace is meant to be shared. Grace is not just for a select group of elite people. You don't deserve grace, so why do you feel that other people don't deserve grace? What makes you so special? When you don't share the gospel, you are not only depriving people of the gospel, but you are hogging grace all to yourself and giving the message that grace is for me and it's not for you. 
Many prideful people try to play the role of God and decide who gets grace and who doesn't get grace. The prideful person will say, this person gets grace because you know, they give me a lot of money, or, or this person has grace because of their social class, or, or this person has grace because of their skin color, or this person has grace because they're Republican or Democrat, or this person has grace because they like to wear a mask or they don't like to wear a mask, or, or this person has grace because they're for a vaccine or they're not for a vaccine, or this person has grace because their sin is not as great as other people's sin. We love to put sin in categories, don't we, as Christians? Well, this person drinks and smokes and cusses, and, well, they don't deserve grace. But this person has control issues, and they love to gossip, but they deserve grace. We love to weigh sin in different ways sometimes in the Christian community. And we like to play God and decide who gets grace and who doesn't get grace. Matthew 7, 1 through 2 says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When it comes to judging people, what goes around comes back around. If you decide who gets grace and who doesn't through judging, you're going to be judged in the same way. No one is entitled to grace, even if you are a millennial. You're not entitled to grace. I am a millennial, so I can say that. If you think about it, we really don't even deserve to live, if you think about the gospel. What does Romans 3.23 say? For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because the wage of sin is death. We deserve death. We deserve death. We don't even deserve to live, if you think about the story of the gospel. So if we really don't deserve to live, do we really deserve anything we have in this life? Isn't everything that we have in this life because of the grace of God? Because of the unmerited favor of God? Isn't your house because of the grace of God? Isn't your breath because of the grace of God? Isn't your retirement because of the grace of God? Isn't your job because of the grace of God? I might make some people mad with this statement, but we really don't earn anything in this life because we really don't deserve anything in this life. What we call earning is really us being good stewards of the grace that has been presented to us. That's what earning is. By the grace of God, you ran into the right people at the right time. By the grace of God, you landed in the right family. By the grace of God... You happen to have the right connections. By the grace of God, you have arms and legs so you can do certain things. By the grace of God, you didn't get caught and this other person got caught. If you think about it, everything boils down to the grace of God. We don't deserve anything. So do we really deserve grace more than other people? And if we don't deserve grace more than other people, shouldn't we be sharing grace? Do you expect everyone to forgive you, but you can't forgive anybody else? Are you a boss of a company who always walks in late, but then you get on your workers for walking in late? Do you have a rough past, but you can't take a chance on anyone in your life that has a rough past? 
Do you not give your spouse second chances even though your spouse has given you second chances? Do you not give your friends second chances even though your friends have given you second chances? Have people taken a chance on you with the gospel of grace, but you won't take a chance on people with the gospel of grace? A lot of you are in here today because someone took a chance on you with the gospel of grace. Shouldn't we be taking a chance on other people because of the grace of God? Grace is meant to be shared. Grace is meant to be shared. I heard many times in my life that you find the one that you're supposed to marry when you find the one that you can't live without, not just the one you can live with. When we invite grace in from being humble, when we share grace, when we use grace for the right purposes, when we always come to the realization that we need grace, every day we wake up and we're like, we cannot live without grace. Not only can we live with grace, but we can't live without grace. We need the unmerited favor of God because of the cross so that we can serve God and be intimate with God. We have to remember what kind of blessing that is every day. Grace is more than just doctrine. Grace is something we need to think about. It's something we need to live. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you and we stand off your presence. God, you're so holy and you're so good. Help us to, to be humble and invite grace constantly into our lives because you oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. You are so good in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.